0: Dear Lord, be good to me. The sea is so wide, and my boat is so small. Amen. When I worked in Israel for a summer about ten years ago, I met a man named Yuval. Yuval was a retired fisherman in his 70s who had spent his whole life fishing on the Sea of Galilee, as had his father and his grandfather before him. He was a real character. He looked exactly like you would expect him to look. Salt-and-pepper hair, weathered face, small but strong. In his retirement, he had taken up sculpture, and he made these sort of enormous, larger-than-life sculptures of ladies' rear ends. So it was always very hard to know where to look when he was showing you his artwork, but you've all never mentioned it. But I eventually learned that he and his brother had saved the kibbutz from closing. Most of these Israeli farming collectives by this point have had to find alternative sources of income because the children of the original members are deciding not to move back and live on the kibbutz themselves. And so when his kibbutz was in danger of going under, Yuval and his brother, who are both amateur archaeologists, were poking around the edge of the Sea of Galilee in this area that was usually underwater but um, had recently been exposed because of drought. And they saw a couple of curved planks of wood sort of sticking up out of the sand. And because they were fishermen, they knew what they were looking at. They knew that it was the skeleton of a boat and probably a very, very old boat. And so they called in the Israeli Antiquities Authority who determined that the boat dated from about 50 years before the birth of Christ? 2,000 years old. The kibbutz was saved. The, um, in fact, it's become wealthy by charging admission to see this beautifully preserved first century boat and the other materials that were found alongside it. And Yuval is still there, happily retired, working on this sculpture. There's no reason to think that Jesus himself has anything to do with this particular boat, but it does date from the time in which he lived. And it was exactly the kind of boat described in the Gospels, in fact, exactly the kind of boat described at the end of our Gospel text today. Used largely for fishing, for ferrying across the Sea of Galilee from one side to the other, And the first thing you notice when you look at this boat, and you can see it on the internet if they've sort of marketed it as the Jesus boat. But when you look at it, you see how small and how fragile it is. It's flat-bottomed, about 27 feet long, but just incredibly shallow. People who know more about boats than I do say that it's very clearly built for shallow water, to sort of hug the shoreline when you're fishing. But the Sea of Galilee is large. It's the primary water source for most of Israel. It's a lake, technically, but it tends to get called a sea mostly because of its size and because it has these sudden storms that whip up enormous waves. The first time I saw how small these boats really were, I was reminded by the, of the famous French fisherman's prayer, which... Apparently, John F. Kennedy used to have framed on his desk, Lord, be good to me, the sea is so wide, and my boat is so small. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be packed with 12 other people into a boat that small, that fragile, miles from the shore, when the storm blew in. In the Jewish tradition, uh, the sea symbolizes evil and chaos, In the creation stories that existed before the Bible, the story of creation was a story uh, of the battle between Baal, the lead god, to defeat Yam, the god of the sea. You see a little echo of it in Genesis 1. The first thing God does is creates light, and second, God contains the seas. So there's always a powerful symbolism in um, any story in the Bible about water. To be on a boat in the middle of a sea is to be threatened by chaos and evil. And it's true, we are fragile, fragile beings. We're so vulnerable, we get sick, we get older, we get hurt. Loving other people lays us bare. When this climate change dialogue goes on, we're forced to remember that We can live only within a very narrow temperature. If the earth's temperature goes up a degree or two or three, we might disappear entirely. To be human is to be on a boat in a storm, adrift in a dangerous world. So it's not coincidence that the Gospels are full of stories in which Jesus' disciples are in the middle of a large and stormy sea in a small boat. In today's text from John, it's not clear whether the disciples set out in the boat without Jesus on purpose or whether he sent them ahead so that he could have time alone. But I think as human beings, we could probably agree that we ourselves have a tendency to set off into the world without Jesus. We're focused on getting to the other side on our own timing and our own terms. And then the storm hits. And then we're in the middle of the sea and the dark in a tiny boat that was built to stay close to the shore. Just as an aside, I often have conversations with people who are in crisis in the middle of that storm, and they often say, I don't feel like I have the right to ask God for help. After all, I'm only reaching out because I'm in trouble. It's not like I pray most of the time. But I think it's important to remember that in all of these stories in which the disciples end up in the middle of the boat in the storm, Jesus doesn't reprimand them for waiting so long to call him. He doesn't reprimand them for setting out on the journey without him or for whatever mistakes of seamanship got them into trouble in the first place. Jesus is just glad to hear from them. In today's story, he says, It is I, do not be afraid. It's important to remember that the Hail Mary pass got its name for a reason. God responds with love and with patience to the prayers of the guilty, the desperate. If you start praying only because you're in trouble, I still think God is still delighted to hear your voice. And that prayer from the middle of the storm can be the beginning of a new spiritual intimacy. But anyway, after the disciples see Jesus, they ask him to get into the boat. But the moment they ask him to get in with them, they miraculously arrive at their destination. And it seems that what allows them to arrive at the other side is their willingness to have Jesus get in the boat with them. The act of bringing Jesus into a situation is what allows the situation to be resolved. The problem starts when we get into the boat without Jesus. And we get to the other side only by inviting Jesus into the boat with us. There's not a solution to the basic problem of human frailty and fragility. God doesn't intervene most of the time to protect us from sickness or aging or death. We're not protected from the unkindness of others. We're always going to be tiny boats in the middle of a big sea. Our choice is whether or not we're willing to invite Jesus into the boat with us. Will we insist on struggling alone, or will we allow Christ to be present with us in the midst of everything that's going on? Inviting Jesus into the boat does change things. Jesus says that following means going where we don't want to go and having companions that we might not choose ourselves. But it's the way to get through the storm to the other side. We can invite Christ to be the real and unseen presence in our relationships. We can ask Jesus to get in the boat with us as we try to figure out how to relate to our colleagues, our friends, our family members. We can invite Christ to be with us in our professional lives to form and influence our ambitions, our daily decisions. We can ask Jesus to get into the boat in our family lives, our friends, our financial lives. None of this is easy, but it's certainly far easier than riding out the storm ourselves. Living in the presence of Christ does not mean avoiding the storms, but it does mean being accompanied by the only one who truly understands who we are and where our boat needs to go. Dear Lord, be good to us. The sea is so wide and our boat is so small.